0: Frank, it's that time of the year again. Ooh, ooh, uh, Nintendo had some product announcements I saw. I believe that there's a new Zelda game coming out. Is that what we're talking about today? Yeah, 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 but
1: it's the other time of the year, Frank.
0: Oh, um, Easter? Is it Easter?
1: (laughs) I don't know. No, it is not Easter. Well, it's that one week where it's way too hot in Seattle and everybody freaks out. Check, it's that.
0: Yeah, uh, did you buy an air conditioner? Are you one of the people that gives up? I did not give up and never
1: surrender. Uh, I did, however, buy a little, like, very small desk fan. It's a Vornado. I like Vornados a lot. And uh, it's very small. It's vintage looking. And I wanted it because I have a nice window, but it wasn't circulating air in from outside. So it's a very small one. It's very quiet. You can barely hear it. I did buy that, but... We're good. We're just, you know, we suffered one night. The one night it was, you know, 80 degrees or whatever, and the whole city yeah. freaks out. But how have you been doing?
0: Uh, Yeah, I've been doing the convection flow thing. And I tell myself that 88 degrees isn't so hot. It's a state of mind. But... Unfortunately, I only did that, like you said, like one or two days, but I did end up going and buying an 18 inch blade fan because you know what? 16 inch just wasn't cutting it anymore. You I needed need those extra yeah. two inches. And that's what does yeah. it? Yeah. But I do love that you're a Vornado fan. I'm a Vornado fan. I have Vornados everywhere that I can get them.
1: <laughs> They're great. They're amazing. But actually, yeah. Frank, it's also another time of the year.
0: I'm out of time of the years. We did WWDC. Is it a machine learning time of the year? Nope, not a machine learning. It's something that probably
1: you and I both need to do more of around our house.
0: (laughs) Well, that's cleaning, but let's not talk about that. Let's talk instead, James, about IoT. Now I get it. (laughs) Now I know what topic you want to talk about. Oh, this is our IoT episode. Awesome.
1: Yeah. And the reason that's our IoT episode, because I was doing some of that cleaning that we won't talk too much about, except for you can <laughs> browse our Twitters where you can see the destruction or as Frank puts it, repair of some of my spinning disk hard drives, which was quite fun. I never taken apart a part hard drive before. And maybe many viewers have not before. I don't even know what goes into a hard drive, but they are beautiful to look at.
0: Just to give the uh, listeners some context here, I got the most random request from James today. (laughs) He texts me and says, I want to destroy some hard drives. Can you help? And I'm like, I don't know. You Just just destroy them, man. He's like, I'm coming over. I'm like, great. (laughs) So we destroyed some hard drives together. That was totally fun. Um, I've tried to repair hard drives before, but I've never actually just had fun and destroyed one. So that was fun. It's like being 12 again, destroying hardware. Yeah, I
1: had these I had these hard drives. I had four solid, you know, not solid state, but I had four spinning disks and I had one solid state. I didn't know what to do with them. They've been sitting in my drawer forever. My from my very first computer that I ever had. I just had this stack of hard drives. And I have to imagine that I am not the only one that has stacks of hard drives and doesn't know what to do with them.
0: Well I informed you that I use the tried and true method of putting them in a box, putting the box somewhere and forgetting about the box. That that's how I live with backing up <laughs> old data. Um but you didn't do that. That's that's pretty cool. Did you back all these up to the cloud first? The cloud? I had
1: no idea I had
0: no idea what was in there. Here's
1: my here's my analogy <laughs> of it. If if something has been in storage or in a drawer for 5 years and you haven't touched it, you don't need it.
0: No, james but it's my stuff i can't give up my stuff i need my stuff how else will i know if i what if i need that baseball mitt that i used once eight years ago (laughs) might
1: need that (laughs) no you don't i mean i i do have i'm pretty sure that these were just extra drives that were updated over time i do have a nas that's still sitting up over there that has like two two terabyte drives in it that that does have some information on it but honestly i believe that i've put everything up on there and i was like i want to destroy these and you're like oh i have some powerful magnets i'm like cool and i thought these were going to be like five inch by five inch industrial strength magnets. And there's like these little tiny things. I'm like, not impressive, Frank.
0: I'm so sad. And and I was, I was disappointed in myself for disappointing you, James, that that's it. I got to up my magnet game, but in good news is I do have some big transformers. So if you kept whining, I was going to build us an electromagnet so that we could just, (laughs) you know, wipe out everything that carries magnetic data in my house. Just, you know, get rid of it all in one false (laughs) swoop. But, fyi hard drives are pretty sensitive to strong magnetic fields you can mess them up pretty easily with just a strong little magnet yeah well you had the correct screwdrivers we took them out we opened them
1: up we put magnets all over them i scratched them up and then the ssd we did a little uh we did a little a little bit of hammering a little bit of drilling through and a little bit of snapping of them Uh, everything was Everything was fun. Everything was fun. It was.
0: It was a good learning experience. Um, My biggest takeaway is um, I have no idea how hard drive motors work. I was really excited. I was going to get one of the motors to spin up and build a robot out of it, I guess. I don't know. Maybe that one worked. (laughs) But it turns out I have no idea how they work. So I got to do some Googling tonight and see what kind of motors they are. But also uh, they have some fun magnets in them. And as you said, it's like hard drives come with their own self-destruct kit. You can just pop them open, use their own magnets and wipe them out yourself.
1: Yeah. And it was super blast. We destroyed all five of the hard drives. And then Frank said, you got to see this, James. And I go, what? Oh, God, here we go. And he's like, (laughs) hey, dingus, turn the lights to green. And I was like, oh, cool. Frank set up some hues. And then he's like, look at this corner, look at this corner. And then behind his television all of a sudden, some lights, you know, turn on. And I'm in my mind, I go, oh, cool. He bought some of those Hue strips. And uh, Frank goes, I made that. I did I that.
0: Made it. Made I, it. I, I did it. I want the credit. That's what I meant when I said those words. It's <laughs> yeah. like, so you could get the credit for you know buying what? How much are hugh strips? Like a hundred bucks, two hundred bucks? Uh, let's look. i mean let me look on the
1: Amazon Hue light strips. H u e light strum. No, hold on. This is this is oh, important context. They are. I just
0: want to Ho ho! Tell
1: me. They're anywhere from the ones that you have seventy to hundred and fifty dollars.
0: Yeah, so that seems like a lot for just a bunch of LEDs. <laughs> so, this is this is the IoT world. You have the consumer market where everything has this like what? 1000% margin on it over the cost of the hardware. And then but then you have this also hobbyist world where there's a bunch of cheap hardware on Amazon and i was like hey i'm gonna build myself a lighting solution james mood lighting (laughs) and
1: and i have this for my so i have this for my television i was on um, what was i on kotaku i think they had some article about how to make your tv watching more enjoyable and they said you know you can get some of these hue strips you can get more complex but if you want you just buy these white leds they have a sticky back end. I'll put some links mm-hmm. in the show notes. They have some sticky back end to them and then you stick it on your TV and it's just USB powered. And most televisions have a USB powered on them. So that's convenient because when I turn on my TV, it turns them on. And when I turn off the TV, it turns them on. But it seemed like what you wanted to build was not what I put together And, and for all intents and purposes, we literally bought the same hardware, but then you, Hack the planet, basically.
0: <laughs> well, my origin story is similar to yours, but a little bit different. Uh, you know how I get frustrated, right? So I bought basically the same thing you have. It's $13 on Amazon, but its neat thing is it's multicolor, so you mm. can do different colors with your little LED strip, but just one color for every little LED. This isn't individually addressable. We should talk about that later because it's there's fun things you can do with TVs with that. But so I got it all set up. I was very proud of myself, glued it onto the TV, everything was working good. And then I realized they gave me this remote. And I don't do I don't want another remote in my living room that I have to think about and find and track the battery down for. Plus, all the lights in my house are dingus controlled. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to have to like remember how to turn this on and off. And that meant I had to buy like a wall outlet thing for it. And those are like twenty or thirty dollars. And then I said, James, actually I said Frank.
1: I was in the room with you. You could imagine that if I was living with you, be like, James, gosh darn it, this is not acceptable.
0: Yes, yes. You're just, yeah, you're my rubber duck. I just use you. You're just a virtual James in front of me at all times. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm like, James, (laughs) we can do better. (laughs) Um, I just have a bunch of like all this IoT hardware, right? We talk about IoT all the time. And like, I know how to do this stuff. Why am I being so lazy? So I just you know, cut some wires and said, how does this puppy work? (laughs) And I, um, I was smart this time, James, you know, how I like to reinvent the wheel, right? Yes. Yes. It's, it's what I do. It's kind of what you do. It's, it's what Frank is known for. Frank's like, well, there's this beautiful
1: documentation, which I could read and then it would tell me exactly how to do this thing, but I'm just going to do all of it myself. I don't trust that. That's not (laughs) what, that's not what Frank Kruger does.
0: (laughs) Right. So, normally that's the case but i've tried to program devices for um the amazon echo before and it ain't easy there's like ssl certs and responding to random wi-fi traffic Mm. and running a server that does this and that it's a lot of work so i'm very proud of myself because i typed into google (laughs) um how to make Amazon Echo, talk to ESP32. Now, the ESP32, I think I've talked about before. It's just this cheap little chip you can get out there. Um, It's about $13. And the neat thing about it is it has Wi-Fi built into it and Bluetooth built into it. Mm. It's just this nice little guy. You saw it. Isn't it cute and small?
1: I did. It is super-duper, super tiny. And I I thought, because you were like, oh, I built this and it was really cheap. And I go, oh... I was like, like, in, like a Raspberry Pi or something. And you're like, no, cheaper. And I was like, well, I don't know what's cheaper than a Raspberry <laughs> Pi. I don't know how it gets cheaper. It's like, no, no, it's just, it's, it's super tiny. And then, um, I was like, that's cool. I, I was like, I didn't quite understood how it works. And you're just like, oh, you know, it has Bluetooth built in and it has wifi built in and it can do everything that you could possibly want. And it's, it's a very tiny idiot. What'd you say? It's about like two inches,
0: two inch yeah, by an inch or so two inch by an inch and if you're a very good solderer you can get it down to about an inch by an inch but wow. i'm not that good of a solder you saw mine um mine is the absolute worst hardware setup you've ever seen i literally just used a breadboard with you know wires sticking out of it i cut <laughs> some of the wires to the right length other ones not <laughs> it looks really bad i did a really bad job with the hardware let's, let's be clear on that but um i was proud of myself because there. I was really worried about this. How do you get this to work with um, Amazon? Hmm. And there's a library out there, James. Thank goodness. It's called—I don't know how to pronounce this. To be honest, I'm going to call it FOMO. F-A-U-X-M-O, f A U X M O, like faux, like French false, and then mo. Ah, uh, f- FOMO. F- FOMO. FOMO. <laughs> Either way, this is a wonderfully reverse engineered (laughs) uh, hacking of the Philips Hue light bulb. And it allows you to create as many virtual light bulbs as you want in code. So you can just set up all these different light bulbs as individual devices. And they get recognized as Philips Hue's. And that means they're compatible not only with the Amazon, but any device because Philips is pretty compatible out there. Everyone makes their stuff work with it.
1: Wow, that is really nice. I mean, that was the biggest part. We talked about IoT devices and home automation for so long. And it really came down to that. You have to buy so many things. You're like, oh, I need to buy this specific, you know, Samsung thing or this Hue thing or this Wemo thing or this Wink thing or like these, you got hubs that talk to hubs and other hubs and so many hubs, all the hubs in the world. Like, I just want this thing to talk to that thing without all my data going up to the cloud thingy that has to go talk to this other back end just to talk to my thing. Um, And and that always seemed to be the problem with it. Um, And then you could only buy compatible devices. But this is cool because you turn that literally $11 piece of hardware into an almost kind of official do-whatever-you-want type of device with with, um, the home assistants.
0: Yeah. Uh, it, it's really kind of opened my mind to it be- just because of the simplicity—the fact that you can just buy a cheap device, plug whatever the heck you want into it. But you know me and servers—like you've always been able to do this. I had my Windows machine pretending to be an Alexa. Oh, did it? <laughs> mm-hmm. Amazon Echo something? Dingus something? But like, you had to keep that s- server running, and that's hard for me. <laughs> mm, yeah. Also, like you mentioned, at those hubs, they're terrible. They use that. Z Wave protocol that you technically have to pay to license, so you can't have anything talk to that. The nice thing about this is that it's running on the local network. And so I made, I, I had to show off a little bit, and I showed you how quickly I could turn the house lights on and off versus how quickly I could turn my device on and off. And did my demo go well, James? Did I make my point?
1: It was very impressive. Frank said, hey, dingus, turn off all my lights. And the very first one that was turned off was his home built one, which is crazy. And then everything else kind of very, very slowly turned off. And and, and this is the same thing I experienced at home. So I have a Google um, Assistant. And then that is connected to at least one, only one thing in between, which is my hues and I have hues everywhere. I've, I've just standardized on that and that's completely yeah. fine. But at the same time, there is a trickle, right? Because I have little on-offs um switches that I can hit that talk directly to the the hues. But for all intents and purposes, what's happening here is when you say hey dingus turn off my lights, your um dingus is figuring out what what does it need to do to communicate to all these devices in the back end. And if it can do them locally, I'm assuming it's doing them locally else, it has to go up to the Amazon cloud, which then needs to go talk to all the other clouds, which can then come Mm. back down again to that specific device that hopefully is secure and then turns off your light.
0: Yeah. And then on top of it, I have a bunch of lights in my house. And for some reason, that Z-Wave protocol can't turn them all off all at once. It Mm. has to go, oh, a few here, a few there. Oh, that one didn't respond. Try that later. You know, it's just slow. (laughs) I'm very impatient. So, yeah, I oh, I'm going to hook this into all my robots. I'm going to hook this into everything. I'm going to automate everything in my house with this. I'm so excited.
1: Well, I want to know a little bit more of exactly what you had to do besides taking this open source library, what code you needed to use, and how you figured out what parts and pieces you needed to solder together. Before we figure that all out, let's take a quick break and thank our sponsor this week, Raygun. Listen, are you building software? Frank, you're building software. You
0: like software. Oh, I build software every day and every night in my dreams.
1: And Frank, I know that you are always struggling to replicate the bugs and performance issues that all of your customers are reporting because your apps are terrible. Is that correct?
0: Uh, Wow, you just <laughs> got dark on me. You know, my apps are wonderful and sometimes a bug gets through and I really do need a reporting service for them. That's <laughs> Thanks, correct. <James. laughs> we all make a
1: wonderful software, but sometimes... There is some performance issues and some bugs. It happens. We're human. What are you going to do? Listen, you can just simply plug Raygun into your web or mobile application right now. They're going to help you diagnose all of your problems in minutes rather than hours. You can kiss goodbye having to dig through log files, relying on frustrated user reports, issues, anything like that. They make software development just so much easier because Raygun can help catch all of your errors, crashes, and performance monitoring all in one simple solution with just Just a few lines of code. Every software team can create flawless software with Raygun. All you got to do is go to Raygun.com. That's it. Raygun.com. Give them a free try and plug them into your application web or mobile today or desktop. Um, Head over to Raygun.com. And thanks to Raygun for sponsoring this week's pod.
0: Thanks, Raygun. Ooh, now I'm going to need some. Analytics on my IoT devices, bug reporting. <laughs> That'd be fun, yeah. Uh,
1: I would, I would enjoy to understand like how many. I'd imagine in the world of IoT that there's just terrible errors happening all the time. Just like it has to be yeah. constant.
0: Well, and the nice thing we we breezed over it with this hardware, but for thirteen dollars you're getting a Wi-Fi connection, which means you're connecting up to the internet. So you really can write code modern code that you want that's constantly talking to cloud services in addition to whatever local stuff it's doing. Yeah, so and totally and, could. Yeah. And you were like this
1: thing is connected to the internet like you said. So that immediately kind of I was like, "Oh, that's interesting." And then you said something that to me kind of blew my mind, which is that instead of having to do like an if this then that to try to, you know, rig up something that when a webhook happens, something like this happens, like you could just be like if it's rainy turn to blue. Like you could just do that locally. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So th- that's kind of what I love about this setup is that it's programmable, and w- we can talk about exactly how you program it. But um, it, it just having that flexibility, I, you know, if this, then that—that's fun. Uh, Series shortcuts and scripting—that's okay. But you know what is really easy to program is C code. <laughs> but light jokes aside, but it's it's programming. It's what you and I are good at. It's what we're trained at. It's how we make our livings. So yeah, having that. Capability to just query the weather. Where is the sun position right now? What's on the TV actually being played? Um, do I have any bugs assigned to me? These are the terrible things. I, I haven't decided if I'm going to do this. Like the CI display. Are you going to show if like you have a break breaking build? We've talked about those before, but would you actually pull the trigger, James? Would you actually put one of those in your house? <sighs> I don't know. You know, I used
1: to have a little light in my house, and it would it would. Blink every time the International Space Station was over oh. over
0: me. I love it. That's awesome. Yeah. I, okay. I. I dig that. Okay. <laughs> no, no. I Maybe I'm going to make mine do that now. <laughs> now that does get annoying
1: if that light bulb is inside of your bedroom because you don't know when and how often that international space station is going to fly over. <laughs> so it may, or may not have been the greatest idea. However, you can imagine building sort of like a dashboard or a hub where there are maybe smaller little lights that are indicating some cool things that are happening.
0: Yeah. Uh, I was thinking about that because I was mentioning another project to you where I want to know the battery level of all the devices in my house. I'm like, should I have it display the battery level of my phone? I'm like, no, no, that's a bad idea. So that's (laughs) that's where IoT can go wrong. But um, I should be clear, I'm not like staring into an LED strip. The nice thing about this is it's one of those um, back TV setup things where you're just bouncing off the wall. So it's kind of subtle. So I don't mind um, if I turn it on whenever the space station flies over that still sounds absolutely delightful.
1: Yeah, that's a good one and then yeah, you could have it, you know, every morning check the weather and give you a forecast. There's all these little things that could be kind of programmed when you're in control and and there is some nice if this and that integration but at the same time, you are then, you know, relying on multiple service providers to actually be accurate. It's it's a it's a middle individual between you and your IoT device.
0: Yeah. And it's all about integration too. I was telling you that the biggest, most important part of it all for me is that when I'm leaving the house and I tell the house to turn everything off, that these things turn off too. That's why I wanted um, that integration level. So you can always buy this device that does that, integrates with this service, but then you have to do a weird janky (laughs) connection with if this then that to like make two devices talk. I'm simplicity, you know, I have an, uh, I have a Amazon thing and I have another, piece of hardware they should be the only things in the loop and it should integrate with that hardware so i can tell everything to turn off everything to turn on that kind of stuff yeah that's what you want integration james all right want to talk about some c code
1: (laughs) i do because the last time i got a raspberry pi or any of those different little devices i installed some sort of IDE scripting type of thing, and I had to write a bunch of not-so-friendly either JavaScript code or, yeah, C... Mm-hmm. Not quite... Maybe C++ code, and then I was like, oh, I don't want to do this, which is why. Of course, I just want to write C Sharp everywhere, yeah. but it sounds like you did not get to write C Sharp everywhere for the ESP, ESP32. ESP
0: No, I just wanted to keep things simple. Um, we don't have a .NET that runs on these devices. I mean, it should spend time never mind i'm not gonna do that. someone it. should do um, <laughs> wink somebody should do that um so i chose the program in c which i know it's not everyone's favorite language and i bash left and right but the truth is it was like my first professional programming language so i'm perfectly comfortable in it i can write code in it so i programmed using the arduino ide james like you know Stu- I don't know why I yeah. suffer and use that IDE. Like Visual Studio <laughs> has Arduino support. VS Code has Arduino support. And mm-hmm. here I am using this terrible editor in this IDE. But I don't know. I It puts me in the mood. You know, it's an environment. I'm like, I'm in hardware hacking mode now. It's fun. <laughs> yeah, it's
1: official because it has the Arduino logo on it. So you know, you're in the right place doing the right thing. Yeah, and it has
0: bugs everywhere and the search is terrible and it has no simple completion. It's, but it feels just old school. Like I, I use this as a hobby. This is you know how like your hobby and your profession shouldn't be that close, otherwise you'll never get a break from your profession. So I always feel bad when my hobby includes programming. So I almost insist on being a bad programmer while I'm doing obvious programming. Like no architecture, like just copy and paste. Who cares? As long as it works.
1: Well, you know, I was cleaning out my drawer, and we had talked about this on Holiday Hacks of years ago. That's When true. I had the Arduino Boy. I'm finding it right now. It's in my, it's right here. Arduino Boy. It's like a little um, Game Boy that you program with Arduino. It's right. an Arduino in it.
0: It has a and, screen uh, and buttons. Yep. Is that right?
1: Like a Game yep, Boy? that's correct. That's yeah, it like a little Game Boy. And I, I never that. did anything with it because I had to open up the Arduino <laughs> software, and I was like, eh, I give up here oh really they actually use the arduino
0: okay yeah and games are tough too because you gotta do all the artwork and the drawing and all that this stuff is yeah. i mean so simple i'm um well let's talk about the code a little bit um yeah. I'll, I'll mostly reference uh this library that i mentioned before this uh fomo library <laughs> fomo <laughs> i just i think it's funny i, think I it's mean, funny. yeah I'm, I'm just gonna like it's it's a fear of uh, whatever who cares <laughs> but it's literally like uh, three lines of code, create a server, put it on port 80, because I guess some Amazon things like port 80, who knows, it's going to broadcast all this stuff over Wi Fi anyway. And then you create a device with just a name on it. So I created three devices because I have a red, green, blue strip, and I wanted mm-hmm. individual controls of all that. So I have a little red device, a little green device and a little blue device. Easy peasy. Nice. Yeah. And then there's an event handler. Um, it's basically on state changed, and you're told which device it is and what its new state is. And in this case, um, it's just whether the light should be on or off, and if it's on, what level should it be at. They have you know, 0 through 100% available through the mm-hmm. app. That's it, James. Like, isn't that the kind of like simplest, most wonderful code that you want on the planet? That's all the code you have to write. The rest is up to you. Whatever you want to jam into that event handler, and whatever other crazy web service stuff you want to
1: do. I love it. it seems very simple. It seems a lot easier than I thought you were going to say. I thought you were going to have to write some sort of Wi-Fi stack, and then communication, and then you're going to have to like just no it's all, kidding,
0: because you know. that's that's. <laughs> that's why I never did this project before because that's exactly what I was fearing too. I'm like, okay, I'll learn how to do it for a day, but then I'll completely forget. Um, but in this case, since it's just some open source library, you can just copy down. (laughs) You'll never forget. You can just keep using this code for all of eternity, keep buying the same hardware and keep programming away at it. I, I was excited too, because, um, a lot of times in embedded stuff, um, The APIs just aren't that good, to be blunt. Yeah, It's too low level, but they kept it very high level. The great test, though, was when... So you write that code that I mentioned, like five, six lines, whatever it is. You use the Arduino IDE, upload it to this device. Again, it's called an ESP32. But then you have the very harrowing moment where you say, Hey, dingus, look for new devices. And it sits there for 45 long seconds. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) There's no feedback. It's just a progress bar going zero, one, two. (laughs) It's like, come on. (laughs) Find it, find it, find it. it. And of course, the first time I did it, it didn't work. So don't feel let down. Um, Some things just aren't that good this library is supposed to be able to work on a device called an esp8266 which is an even cheaper version of this mm. hardware yeah so i tried that on that because i'm all about like let's keep it cheap but yeah. um yeah but it didn't work i don't know why <laughs> it didn't work <laughs> so then
1: did it did it find the device or no
0: It did, it did, but not after, like, I I, sorry, on the old hardware, no, it didn't. Oh. Right, so here's what would happen, though. I I could monitor the process a little bit. You just use a serial terminal, and, you know, Mm -hmm. it's printf debugging. So with printf debugging, I would see, okay, it's alive, it's alive. I would tell the dingus to go find new devices, and it would crash, James. No, no just crash (laughs) and it's c code so like how does c code crash it's like yeah you tried to overwrite some memory i am like, great that doesn't tell me anything (laughs) how (laughs) do i fix it (laughs) yeah um so i just got lucky and i had that other hardware out there the esp32 and that's why i'm recommending everyone out there pay a little extra for the device just so you can guarantee that it's gonna work uh so get one of these esp32s pop this library on it write those lines of code
1: This totally needs a write up because there are some times in which you just, you know, you just kind of want to do something that you're not supposed to, or they say you're not supposed to. And, and, uh, and an $11 piece of hardware lets you do it. So like, why wouldn't you want to do it? You know?
0: Yeah. And I told you, I just bought that 19 inch fan. Guess what's Mm -hmm. getting reprogrammed tonight. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I am going to have a variable fan control. It's going to be awesome. I'm so looking forward to this. Just going to take apart my fan, figure out how those electronics work somehow, hopefully. You think it'll be hard? We should take bets. Do you think I can do it or not?
1: The question will, will you be able to do it by the next podcast?
0: Uh, I, I think well we're yes. so off schedule that I don't know. I think the next podcast is in a day.
1: <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah. So <laughs> okay, I uh, I'd give you. I give Let's, you a week. I give you a week.
0: Okay, Mister Manager, I get a week. Now, what are we doing? Two different bets for? Do I destroy my fan or do I get my fan to be smart?
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, I. Oh man, I'm worried. The thing <laughs> <Me> is <too. laughs> I, I feel like the, the here's the difference. Okay. So the little bit of setup of how at least I imagine this LED strip working is it's almost a little bit programmable. And what I mean by that is that there was a remote in which it was communicating to something and it kind of had control over all the other things. Now, fan, though, it may have those. I mean, it has definitely a switch on the inside. But I don't know if what that switch does, like, is that switch changing the voltage? Is it toggling? Like, I don't really know how, I don't know how Mm -hmm.
0: things work, I
1: guess,
0: (laughs) is what I'm saying. Yeah. So. Well, with these things, um, actually, the LED strip and the fan are more similar than you would think. It usually comes down to the case of a digital microcontroller creating uh, an oscillating wave, a PWM wave, and then an amplifier, something that takes that wave and actually adds some real power to it so you can drive a motor or drive some mm. LEDs. So they're actually kind of similar. The difference is just how much power that they're driving. And now I want to clarify something. No, that LED strip is not at all programmable, James. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. No, no, no. I, I cut off their electronics. In fact, their electronics were interfering with mine It was kind of funny what was happening. So I would power up the strip with my circuit. And that would power up their circuit. And ours would start fighting with each other. And so they would start executing their program while my program was going. And I just got the weirdest color mixes and the the trippiest (laughs) things going on. So eventually, I just had to take a pair of scissors and cut off their electronics. (laughs) Because they were just getting in the way of things.
1: Oh, my goodness.
0: Uh, So I think that you will
1: maybe blow yourself up. Maybe. Maybe.
0: Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Some high voltage situations. Yeah. Yep. This is my assumption. I've been shocked uh, with the wall before. (laughs) Not going to change anything, James. Maybe don't make me smarter. That'll be fun. Activate my brain. (laughs) I'm worried. I'm worried for you. I'm so excited.
1: (laughs) So (laughs) you need to definitely do a blog post on these things. I feel like the, I feel like the DIY home television thing would be good, but I do challenge you to do something else even in that space, which is how could you make it so those LEDs sort of respond to what's on the television, like enhance it? Is that a possibility? Is there some other IoT device that you could chain these two together? Like the camera is reading in the color temperature and then, you know, providing that. So if if you're in a forest of green, then it actually goes to the green. Is that a possibility here? Are you gaslighting me right now?
0: <laughs> uh, no, I. I'm oh, this just... is this is a whole field, James. <laughs> you you gotta catch up on your internet. Uh, this is this is really cool technology where they try to extend the, what's on the screen. So, like you said, if you have, there's a blue sky at the top, the top LEDs will be blue. But if there's like a desert at the bottom, it'll try to do like an orange at the bottom mm. to extend the entire landscape out onto like your your home. It's a whole neat thing. If I wanted to do that, I totes could. Um, I need to buy more LED strips, essentially. (laughs) But um, so the big difference is um, in LED strips, you can get two kinds um, where the whole LED strip is one color. That's what I have. Mm -hmm. And or you can get what's called individually addressable LED strips and these are uh, more expensive, but that means you can change the color of LED of mm. each LED, and that means you can create this effect even better because you can have almost not pixel perfect, obviously, because you need an LED for every pixel. But you know, just a better effect than just lighting up a whole strip and doing a diffuse thing. Well, awesome. I guess
1: the, the question next would be then if you could get the LEDs to support it, which seems like you can. How, without being the manufacturer of the television, would you be able to get what's
0: on the television? That's the crux of it. You nailed Mm. it. So people have done this in the past, and they've tried to create, like, HDMI pass-through boxes. Mm. But anyone who's ever done that knows, A, how bad that is. B, it's not going to work on 4K. C, you lose all your region locking and your DRM, Mm. and things get very upset very quickly. (sighs) <sighs> there's, there's no good answer. I think my solution, if I were to do it, is to just put the tiniest little um, Raspberry Pi camera in the opposite end of the room, yeah, and just pull out the pixels from that.
1: Yeah, I don't know any of, other way
0: to do it. Honestly,
1: that's what I was thinking. Is yeah, I would read it in in real time, and then that would relay the information to yeah. your program. That'd be really cool, though. That'd be a, that'd be really crazy. But I'm, I'm curious. Maybe some of our listeners know some other ways of reading you know, color data off of a television with some other device. I was, yeah, I don't know any other way, but it'd be very, I feel like someone's got to do this, but you could buy a super cheap webcam. It's just sitting there and it's just pulling in data for all purposes. Yeah.
0: Or if you're one of those cool people who has everything going into one receiver and then one cable going to your TV, Mm. you could put a, a a box in the middle of that. But I'm not that organized. I have like 800 different wires going into that TV from a thousand different sources. (laughs) That is the correct way of doing it. Because every time you try to be like, oh, I'm going
1: to put everything in one cable. And then you're like, oh, now I have this new device. And you're like, oh gosh, got to redo everything.
0: (laughs) Jam it in there.
1: Yeah, jam it in there. Cool. I mean, I love it. I thought that it was super cool. And I feel like a fool for spending way too much money. But I will say the nice thing, why this IoT device actually becomes a little bit more family friendly is because it's behind the television like and you you wouldn't see it it's not like this atrocity that's out you know that people are like what is that thing like oh that's like running my entire house or whatever you know it's it's like this is self-contained behind the television out of sight out of mind and you're not talking to it you're talking to your dingus and that's all that matters
0: yeah i love that and you can imagine just yeah getting tiny little boxes for these things we said they're like two inches by one inch and it just has a little usb cable dangling out of it if you don't want to add a battery to it the batteries are tricky so um i imagine just having a bunch of these tiny little things just around the house and mostly hidden away hopefully all hidden away so you can't even tell Plus, they can work as eye beacons, James, so I can finally get some hyper-local mapping in my 600-square-foot apartment.
1: <laughs> Perfect. Well, um, I'm ready to go into business and make billions of dollars off of making these devices, and we can oh. put them in a little enclosure that will 3D print, and then boom, we're good to go. Done and done. Hardware projects like that always work out just they fine. Do. <laughs> uh, well, Frank, I love that you're hacking the planet and helping me destroy hard drives, um, and I hope that our listeners also maybe are doing some holiday hacking, um, in June, you know, I call it yeah. spring cleaning, hacking
0: really at oh. the end of this, you know, I actually I've just been mostly making a mess, but I'll, I'm going to work on that cleaning part for okay. reals.
1: <laughs> okay. Okay. Frank, I believe you. Uh, me too. Me too, Frank. And I'm totally going to mm. do it. All right. Well, thanks everyone. Anyone else, anything else you want to talk about on your, your craziness?
0: Do we miss mm, anything? No, we should go more into the how to get rid of stuff box theory, but we'll save that for another episode. We will. All right. Well, thanks everyone for tuning in. And of course, thanks to Frank for being the one
1: on the podcast that does all the cool stuff so we can talk about it. And um, yeah, that's it. You can follow us everywhere on the internet at merchconflict.fm uh, at merchconflictfm on Twitter. Um, you can become a Patreon, get stickers, and we're sending out some really cool, crazy stuff to one of our patrons, Clinton, who uh who apparently went to our top tier and then we need to send him this crazy, crazy merge conflict swag that nobody else nice. in the entire world has. So um, I will take a photo of it and hopefully he'll tweet it out and we'll retweet that thing, but I think that's going to do it for this week's merge conflict. Until next week, I'm James Montemagno and I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace.